0: This is the guardian. Gegenseitiger Respekt ist die Basis für ein gutes Gespräch. Im Netz ist das alles andere als selbstverständlich. Und woher zur Hölle willst du das wissen? So eine vollorte Bitch wie dich sollte man an
1: den Herd fesseln, dir dein Handy wegnehmen und, und wir feiern dich dafür, dass du dich als Frau nicht unterkriegen lässt. Keine Angst, du bist hier nicht allein. Wir alle
0: entscheiden, ob wir das Netz dem Hass überlassen. Werde Teil der Telekom-Initiative gegen Hass im Netz und setze ein Zeichen. Telekom.
2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Newcastle United brought down to earth a little by Borussia Dortmund. After hammering PSG, you might have expected them to see off Edin Terzic's men, but the away side were excellent. Counter-attacking in the first half and defending stoically in the second. The Jouerys have some missed chances to rue and a couple of injuries to stretch their squad. Meanwhile, perhaps Erling Haaland is right-footed after all. That's a worry. Young boys gave them and their cardigans a game for a bit, but another 3-1 win for City means they're in control of Group G. Celtic once again don't quite win. It's been so long, But they do hold up for their first point of the campaign. Then there's a Premier League preview, the Manchester Derby, our Everton facing a 12 point deduction, and some pod classics the Sid cameo, some Eau Claire joy on the impending Saudi World Cup, and a Fulham minute from Archie. All that, plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Philippe Eau Claire, welcome.
0: Bonjour, mon cher Max.
2: Archie, have been in touch, hello. All right. Is that it? Just all right? Not up for this? What's happened? I mean, all right, how are you doing? Okay, yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Uh, <laughs> suddenly become a bit too cool for school. <laughs> he's just gone into he's just gone into year eleven. He's just been a bit been a bit cool now. Um still join us in part two. Uh, but it's us three you've got for part one. Let's start at St. James's park, then Dortmund won one there at, at Newcastle. Brilliant win for Dortmund Archie. Um I, I think they deserved it. And and I've already heard you um on a National radio station podcast. While I was going for a five k run, very
3: surprised that uh, that they performed so well. Are you trying to insinuate that I cheated on on Football Weekly? No, that's okay. We're
2: allowed. You're allowed to work at other places. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, thanks because I also work for you.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, true. Essentially, <laughs> Not for me personally, you sound like <laughs> you're my
3: cleaner. Get, that's look, how it feels it. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, very shocked. I'd say that that was the the best away performance I can remember of Dortmund under Edin Terzic. If you consider the moment, the uh, the the team they're playing against, how strong they've been, and Newcastle fans telling me that's probably the best away team performance they've seen come to Newcastle since early Eddie Howe times. The way that they were able to take advantage of the space, space that they don't usually get, space I wasn't anticipating they would get. And I think that even though they ran out of gas towards the end, that was probably down to the fact that they were covering many more metres and able to get forward much more than they would have expected. But big performances from Nico Schlotterbeck at the back. I mean, for all that I'm I'm talking up how good they were going forward, the people I want to pick out are the ones at the back. Um, Schlotterbeck at centre-back, but also Gregor Korbel for a huge save he made in the second half from from Callum Wilson and the continued steady expansion of his reputation. He's been superb for Dortmund since he joined them. One or two high-profile mistakes, but you talk to any of the players there and they'll tell you that without him, they would have lost many more games than they would have won. And the goal, Felix and
2: Mecha, I, I don't know, Archie, if he is, you know, a Jude Bellingham replacement. That seems quite a lot of pressure to place on anyone. He sort of moves a bit like him. Yeah, it's controversial, Max.
3: Uh, not not what you've said, uh, but the whole Felix Mecha signing. He made uh, transphobic and homophobic posts on Instagram before joining, and that stirred a number of the fans uh, to advocate against his signing. He signed for 30 million euros and on the opening day of the season, there was a huge banner hung above where the CEO, Aki Vatska sits, um, saying uh, together against homophobia, for example. So we come to what he's like on the pitch. Uh, He has looked like somebody who's been doing a poor impression of Jude Bellingham so far this season. But then again, I'd, I'd say that all of us would probably do a poor impression of Jude Bellingham. Uh, but he has been relaxing a bit more and, and playing better of late. It's a good goal. Uh, exceedingly well taken and and the timing of his run. He's missed a few big chances recently. But he's somebody who, you know, Dortmund care a lot about Dortmund fans care a lot about what they stand for and I know some who are left with mixed feelings when he's scoring the winning goal.
2: Yeah. I, do you know what? I didn't know that about Mecha, but um, uh, Dortmund Chief Executive Hans Joachim Vatska uh, and Club President Reinhold Lunau said in a joint statement, he completely convinced us during intensive talks that he does not hold any transphobic or homophobic beliefs. Felix himself underlined that he respects and loves all people irrespective of skin colour, religion or sexual orientation... Uh, He himself, in an interview published by The Club, said a few things were taken out of context. Of course, I'm Christian, but I love everybody. I do not discriminate. I just hope fans will give me a chance to get to know me and hopefully see I'm a great person. From a Newcastle perspective, Philippe, Mm. we have said already that we wondered if their squad would be stretched. When they had a couple of injuries, you know, Isaac is a different player to Wilson, right? He can do more and him going yes. off was a big loss for them murphy coming off and going off again that's, that's you, very, which is very yeah. sad
0: i mean he, he looked absolutely distraught and and they, yeah. by the way they both of them look like injuries which could hamper, hamper them for quite a while and you know given where they are in the in the premier league at the moment and given that the squad is not yet um the uh, deepest that you can think of these things this will change in the in the winter you can expect um, a very high spend by the Saudis on on the winter transfer market. But yeah, it was shown. And I think when when we were talking, you know, about their 4-1 win over PSG last time, I think I said something like everything went for Newcastle. Everything went right for Newcastle on that night against Paris Saint-Germain. And because of that, the public really caught fire and they were then transported by their, their crowd to a level which is perhaps not their actual level. There, they found a Borussia Dortmund team, which I'm I'm sure would have amazed them by the quality of their performance. Because to be honest, I mean, I'd been uh, listening and uh, reading what Archie was saying about Borussia Dortmund before the game. And I had the feeling, I I was looking at their results and thinking, well, they've been very, very lucky so far in the Bundesliga. And then suddenly they were able to exploit all that that space on, on the right hand side. Which you wouldn't have expected. Newcastle actually built most of their current success on their defensive solidity, even if they're scoring for fun this season. And then you could see huge gaps appearing here and there, and and not everything that they tried worked out. They created a few chances, but you know Dortmund's keeper was on a on a very good day as per usual. Um, and then they found themselves really under the cosh. Um, no, they don't have the uh, the depth yet. Uh, to, you know, alleviate as as uh, bad, you know, um, a loss as that of Alexander Isak because Callum Wilson was as always very active but he genuinely didn't have his best game for Newcastle, I think you can say that. He was actually quite inefficient and, and I think it was in many ways a disappointing performance from the Newcastle point of view, very disappointing and which was reflected, by the way, by a certain lack of, I don't know if you felt the same, Max, but a certain lack of passion in what is supposed to be a cauldron. And the fans I could hear were the Borussia Dortmund fans.
3: That was the first goal that Dortmund have scored in the Champions League this season. They've only scored one in their first three games. And they're moving away from the heavy metal football ideas that were so often talked about uh, internationally uh, around Jurgen Klopp. Edin Terzic has been talking about being uh, less sexy and more successful. I I would say that Last night actually was quite sexy in, in terms of the football. I think the more space you have to run into, the sexier you can play. And a lot of the time against Bundesliga opponents, teams are sitting a lot deeper and they don't have that room for expression. So I, I, a, a significant win for Dortmund. One, one Dortmund fan friend of mine said he was expecting a 4-1 defeat. <laughs> And instead, he got the one, but not the four.
2: Yeah. A bit like, um, you know, sort of what me and Barry have tried to do with this pod. The opposite, actually. More sexy, but less <laughs> successful. Really impressed with how Dortmund pushed Trippier back, right? Because he's such an important outlet for Newcastle. They did really well. And Emre Chan, until he got injured, was brilliant. And staggered to find out he's only 29. Like, in my mind, he's at least 35. He's, and like, is he's, he only 29? He's only 29. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Um, and he's a key man for them, and he was desperate to carry on, even though one of his legs wasn't working. It was slightly, you know, the knight from the Holy Grail.
3: Uh, <laughs> <And said, laughs> Edin Terzic said that I think that's the most pain that Emre Chan has ever felt in his leg, uh, and he is the sort of unit where if he's coming off the pitch, you know something... Is is wrong because uh, look, he, he tried to continue after it looked like he really shouldn't have continued, which which told you something in the first place. And actually, as well, he's bec- like he was appointed Dortmund captain over the summer. Marco Royce relinquishing that post, and somehow it's what the end of October and Emery Champions just start the season poorly, get dropped, and then knuckle down and work his way back into the team. And I think that is that is precisely the kind of character that you want as Captain, somebody who goes, "Well, okay, uh this hasn't started ideally, but I'm going to show you I'm going to show you what I'm made of, and that sends a certain message to the camp for their sake. They need to hope that the injury isn't too serious because the squad beyond him, even if Sal Chan, I thought, did really well actually after after he came on for Chan as well. Uh, they need to hope that it's not all that serious.
2: Asadre Tanali came on. Um, uh, the Guardian's reporting uh, on his uh, betting case. They're braced to him to receive a 10-month ban um, with a further eight months suspended for breaches of Italian betting regulations. Uh, nothing's been confirmed. The 23-year-old's lawyers have held a series of meetings with the federal prosecutors in Italy, understood to be finalising a plea bargain on Wednesday. Although the players alleged offences, namely the use of illegal gambling websites and the placing of bets on his former team, Milan, carry a mandatory three-year ban, That term can be reduced by an admission of guilt, cooperation with investigators, and a willingness to engage in counselling. Tonali is believed to be extremely uh, cooperative. His agent has explained he's a gambling addict seeking therapy to address the problems. Um, A plea bargain was possible. The final verdict is expected to arrive at some point today. Uh, Elsewhere in this group, PSG beat uh, beat Milan 3-0. I mean, it looks so easy, this Philippe, for PSG.
0: Yes, they were. They were actually seriously good. Um, in that game, um, that um, new style PSG without the superstars, apart from Kylian Mbappé, who didn't have too bad a night. But um, if you if you had the chance to, to to watch the game in its entirety, you will know that he was not the star of the show even though the first goal, I have to say...
2: Effortless, <sighs> the first goal. But. How
0: many players can... It's just insane how many players can score that because it is really impish what he does, isn't it? It's that the keeper definitely thinks he's going to go for the other side of the goal. I think we all do, don't we? We all do. Everybody does. Yeah. That's the natural thing to do. And then he manages to correct the angle and I wouldn't say he passes it in the net, but he completely wrongs foots absolutely everybody. Um, but of course, what... um everybody's talking about in France this morning, is about the young man who supplied the pass for that goal, um, Warren Zaya Emery. Now, uh, prepare to feel very old uh, when I tell you that he was born. Uh, you're t- talking about Emery Chan being 29. Well, Warren em- uh, Zaya Emery was born on the 8th of March, 2006. Yes, he is, he is uh, 17 years old. He's a player who throughout his... Um, young life. He still goes to school and he he's he's got his A levels at the end of the year. Um, but every every single age category he was by two or three years the youngest. And like at the moment he's the captain of the under 23s, uh, you know the Terrior's team. He's the captain, 17 years of age. Uh, last year I can't remember if I get it wrong by one game, but he played, I think, 26 or he had a part in 26 league 1 games with PSG at the age of 16. That's crazy. And when you see him play, um, talking about uh, the new Jude Bellingham, which is starting to become a thing, he is the new Jude Bellingham for France. His attributes are actually incredibly similar to that, uh, to those of Jude Bellingham. Uh, both on the field and off the field, because he's super mature, super clear, super calm, off the pitch, is well, very well advised. On the pitch, his skill set is just ridiculous, as in heading both feet, you name it, control. What is just astonishing is his physical power at the age of 17, uh, which is exactly like Jude Bellingham. You think, how is it possible to have all these qualities put together? in somebody who's still growing. The midfield we're getting ready for, the 2026 World Cup, is going to be something out of this world. I mean, Chouameni, Camavinga, Zaya Emery, and you could name another four or five there. It's just insane. And he was, he was deservedly man of the match, a player of the match. Uh, and uh, he will be called to the French national team very, very um, shortly by Didier Deschamps. And you know what? It won't be as a sub. Um, he's that good. He's he's just astonishing.
2: That's something ridiculous about someone being the new Jude Bellingham when Jude Bellingham is only 20. But, you know, I suppose that's how good he is. Group G then, Man City won 3-1 at Young Boys. They've won every game in this group, 3-1. Archie, which goal was the best? Harlan's right-footed banger or Elias' chip over Edison?
3: Aesthetically, I think seeing somebody chip it from the range that he did, even if Edison is... Is saying chip me? I think, <laughs> I think it was it, it, it was the second, and yet uh, not to uh, not to take anything away from Erling Haaland's um, shift and shift and fire. That is still such a skill, and he had quite a few chances in this game. And I not the difficulty is is when you've scored every chance, then people start expecting you to score every other chance. And I, I don't, <laughs> there's still not easy chances that he was having, but still, yeah, that, that second goal is, he, he got quite fortunate with the penalty. Uh, that, that that seemed to go through the keeper's hand. About the only thing that did, the the, the young boys keeper, superb game. Sorry that his name, um, Ratioppi. That's the fella. Um, I superb game. Uh can I also mention Rico Lewis? Please do. Oh my
0: is it the new Warren Zaya Emery? <laughs> it's
3: the new Zaya Emery <laughs> I saw him I saw him uh play away at Leipzig uh on the on the last match day and first time I'd seen him live first time I think many people had seen him oh my god I I was I was saying to Max and I were saying at half time, we were kind of rubbing our hands with Glee, being like, Well, here's another one for the England squad then in the future. Quite a lot of, of players don't und- don't have that understanding or intuition of when the ball needs to be played and at how quickly it needs to be played. Or indeed being able to keep up with the super fast tempo that that, that you have. And that Lewis has that and is able to somehow even more accelerate the play is a frightening quality to have as a teenager. And yeah, he is just, he's, he's like a little bottle of lightning. He's superb. I got to speak to him after that game as well. Like, what a sweet grounded kid as well, who was raising the fact that, you know, he was fortunate that he got the chances that he had, because there were so many other in the academies who had, put in the same amount of effort, but things hadn't fallen their way. And about the only thing that I think saw I saw go wrong from that evening was that en route to the interview, he dropped his dinner. <laughs> which which I was like...
2: You're so coordinated. You, you can't I've be doing this. that. Yeah, it was nice to see a Champions League game on Astro, wasn't it? Shame it wasn't like the sand-based stuff. So you presume the Young Boys players, they've all got that... that they've ripped the skin off their the same bit of knee every week and it just almost heals and then they play again and it goes off
3: again for their entire careers. Did you see one of the young, I I, I mean, of, of on the numerous occasions that young boys were sliding in to try and prevent a Man City goal, I saw a particularly bloody knee from one of the defenders and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't you know think that, that was is. caused by a Man City player. <laughs> no,
2: um, Alan said, did anyone see Man City's, uh, pre-match outfits they look like the posh bullies from animal house malcolm allison would be disgusted yes yeah, sort of very cardigan-y look from city Philippe, you look absolutely disgusted
0: yeah it's the uh, the armband did you see yeah. that it I, I thought
2: maybe it's what the kids are wearing
0: <laughs> I, don't I don't think so i don't think any kid would be seen dead wearing such a thing i mean it was so ugly so fat takes so much space on the forearm as well. I mean, it's bleh, the, the colour scheme is disgusting. You will notice that Pep didn't wear it. Uh,
2: yeah, um, fair enough. Um, uh, Leipzig beat Red Star 3-1. We don't have a huge amount of time for this, Archie, but Davy Simmons, that goal is just the, the goal of the night, yeah? I
3: think. No, 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 because it's not. Because there's a goal that we're going to talk about Correct. that I think is better. Mm, okay, oh, what a that. tease! I look forward yeah, to finding I, I, out what I, that I, is. I, I, I know, right? Just to say on Xavi Simmons uh, again, he's the new Rico Lewis. Um, <laughs> right here we go. <laughs> working our yeah, way down. He's good. Yeah, he's he's
2: good. He's good. Right, there you I'll, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in a bit of hurry. Sid's ready to join us and that'll do for part one. Uh, Sid, we're here in part two and we'll look at the other Champions League games. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Michael says, how has the live show not sold out? When there's top rated journalists dressing up as Postman Pat while delivering meat parcels? It's a very good question, Michael. JD says, Will you take the roof off the Troxy like King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard did back in March? 100% we will. And David said, Following up on the man with the plastic bag on his head selling out the Troxy when you haven't. I know the Troxy's Swift Again Club night in December is already sold out. Perhaps the pod could combine forces. This would also one of the Guardian's commitment to mention Taylor Swift at every possible opportunity. So we will do a live Taylor Swift number on the 13th of November. Tickets selling for that one, Uh, but they're still available. Me, Philippe, Troy, Ellis, Baz. 15th of November in Manchester. Me, Baz, John Bruin, Nader Manuha and the Will Unwin Anecdote. And on the 22nd, me, Baz, Nicky Mandini, Johnny Liu. At the li- it is sold out, but the live stream goes around the world. Please go to theguardian.com slash tour 23 and Don't just ignore that. Go to it and buy a ticket and come. <laughs> I'd really like to sell out. That would be nice. Hey, Sid Lowes here. Welcome, Sid.
1: Hi, Max. I didn't understand a word of that, you know. Lizard and Trisard and something or other. I had no idea what you were talking about. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Sid, you don't understand it. Just buy a ticket and okay, come to I'll watch Football that. Weekly Live. Yeah. I think it's right in your wheelhouse. I think you'll have a great time.
1: I'm sure I will.
2: <laughs> okay, good. That's the enthusiasm I was looking for. Uh, let's do group, group E first of the Champions League um, because Celtic and Atleti drew 2 2. Um, and you sort of feel with Celtic, oh, they keep almost winning a game. And this time, Sid, it was Atleti that didn't let them.
1: Yeah and and actually I think at, at the point by the end of it Atletico were quite happy with the draw because they'd gone down to 10 men towards the end. I think I think when the moment when Rodrigo de Paul was was sent off it kind of changed the whole balance of it, didn't it? There was a period it felt like okay Atletico you know, they're going to they're going to win this now. They the 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 balance of the game was completely in favor. They were creating chances. The momentum was starting to build particularly through through Griezmann, who at some point I think there needs to be a discussion about why no one talks about him more than, you know, as, as much as they should. Um, and then once the Paul went off, it's not just that that changes the game and that's the obvious and very cliche thing to say where it becomes harder. It's that it felt like Atletico had taken the decision that, OK, this makes it harder. So it's not just that we can't look for the win anymore. We sort of don't look for the win anymore and we, we, we settle for for what we've got. Um, and and that perhaps allowed Celtic to to get a draw they wouldn't have got otherwise. But as you say, there were, there were certainly periods in the game when Atletico struggled more than they probably should have done, or more than they th- felt they should have done.
3: Sid, is the reason that people don't talk about Griezmann enough? Is it is it as simple that he doesn't play for Barca or or Real? I know Atleti is a fairly major institution, but I, I find this uh, with with other players as well. It's like if they don't play on that top top, I I, I don't I don't mean to go into red napism, but if you don't play on that top top level then people don't seem to have those conversations.
1: Well, there's another dimension to it, isn't there? Which is that um, I I would agree with that. I think there's some other elements, but I'd agree that that's a fundamental one. He doesn't play for Madrid or Barcelona. There's another dimension to it, which is, but he did. And it wasn't (laughs) that great when he did. Um, And so, of course, it's not just that you've got this guy playing really, really well at Atletico Madrid and you can think, well, if he was at Barcelona or Real Madrid, we'd take him seriously. "Well, Well, he's been at Barcelona. And so now we know he's not that good, really. And of course, I think his biggest mistake was going to the only club in the world where there was a player in the world who could probably do the things he did significantly better than him. I don't think there's any other club anywhere where there was a player basically doing the things that he wants to do and doing it better than he does.
0: The other thing is that what 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 you say, what we say about uh, Griezmann's status uh, with clubs is also something you could say Griezmann's status with uh, his national team. Um, I think I would certainly put. Griezmann in the top three of the greatest ever French players in, in internationals. Wow, okay. With, with
1: with who? With Zidane and uh, Platini? With, Zidane.
0: Zidane, with, with uh, Platini and, and Zidane, yeah. Platini, Zidane. And I, I would put him ahead of players who probably might have been better, uh, because you could argue Thierry Henry, or Kylian Mbappé is on the way too, of course. But over um, a period of time, which is a very long period of time, He's been the absolute fulcrum, foundation of that team. He's been decisive in in very big competitions. He's been the most consistent of all performers. He's accepted to play in roles which are not naturally his role, especially at the last World Cup, where he was really one of the players of the tournament. Well, that's part of it, isn't yeah, it? but uh, he, I, th- I think that's he's part he's, of it. he's, a, he's a, just a magnificent player who will remain underrated, and for that for that reason, he he will probably acquire a status, almost quasi mystical status. Um, in, in history I would imagine. It's like he's the player that nobody thought was as good as he was. It's true. It's it's ludicrous. The streets that
3: won't that, forget, uh, I believe, is the terminology. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> well he'll become he'll become the, the, the it'll be it'll be a bit like the kind of the the retrospective Paul Scholes-isms when oh, yeah. it would be that he's a player that was so underrated that he becomes overrated <laughs> later on because we, we all jump onto the underrated thing. Antoine Griezmann will not be an
0: overrated as Paul Scholes is overrated. I am.
2: I was on the radio oh. saying I wouldn't put Paul Scholes on the top table. I'd put him on the second table if we're on you know, is, top, it, is it your sure wedding tables. you're talking
1: about, Max? Which table am I on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, he came to the reception only. But um, yeah, and then he messaged and said, Oh cheers, mate. And I was like, Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, uh, <laughs> still he? a lovely player. Like but worth saying that Griezmann's worth saying that Griezmann's goal was the worst and luckiest of the three here. And Archie, those Celtic goals. Well, Jim Burke, bastard Jim, sent a brilliant tweet after four minutes when Furuhashi put them head going far too fucking early, and (laughs) we all we all thought it. But that, you know, former Fulham man Matt O'Reilly with that wonderful pass, that one-two with Furuhashi was
3: great. You think that you are going to tease more out of me by mentioning that he's a former Fulham man? You're spot on. He's really good. He's really good. His range of passing. He never got. He never really got a chance at at Fulham, and uh, yeah. I I think it's it's it looks like he will be off at some point uh, in the in the near future. To be honest, though, uh, I I got to watch Celtic a couple of occasions last season under Ange live, and the things they were trying to do then were were really bold and, and interesting, and Kyogo especially, uh, what what he offers on a technical level, I. He's, he's somebody that, he, he, he seems something, something of a luxury player to have uh, sometimes, but yeah, the, the way he took that first goal was, was superb. I have to say though, uh, without always wanting to bring everything back to Atleti, the goal I admired most in the game was actually Alvaro Moratas. It's an amazing header. I've, I've had so many debates uh, over years at, at work of what, what goes into a top five goal compilation. And this goal would never really make it because it's not a thunder bastard from 30 yards, and yet the difficulty of scoring this goal was probably higher than all of the other ones actually on the night, just because of the timing like the the amount of weight he's got to get on the header i it's so so
2: good are you saying that are you saying that um basically before he Attempts the header. It should be like Olympic high diving. Some would just say the difficulty <laughs> level here is is, is three point yeah. nine, yes. and yeah. so if he gets it in, that is a that is a nine point oh, nine. I love it if Even we start to rate
1: football goals like. And there's that. A, and, and there's and there's a risk. There's a risk of a Greg Laganus, isn't there? That, that that he's going to fall flat on his face and it's going to go horribly wrong. Uh, the, the, I suppose flat on his face is the key to this, isn't it? He doesn't use the normal part of his head to guide it in. He he sort of he sort of he sort of drops his head sideways and kind of uses the side rather than. Yeah. the he's backwards as well, isn't
2: he? Yeah. Um, worth mentioning, Lewis Palmer's finish was great. And I think he thought he'd scored against Lazio like, and it was ruled out by VAR. So it was a nice moment for him. And I r- did like Rodrigo de Paul uh, protesting his innocence whilst holding his shin pads ready to go off. <laughs> there,
0: there was also a, a magnificent moment of um, Atletico shithousery because they've got to be, uh, uh, we, we've got to tick that box. is when Griezmann pretends to be injured at the end. And to their horror, they realize it means that the, the doctors have got to, to go on the pitch and Griezmann has got to go on the touchline, which means they're going to be only nine for yeah. a while and Simeone is there going absolutely berserk <laughs> saying to no 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 no! he's not injured he's not injured he's not injured
1: and <laughs> I thought this is this was a wonderful atletico moment by the way but well and the, 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 and the doctor and the physio as well look at him going what do we do basically knowing whatever they do they're going to get a massive <laughs> following one way yeah. or the and other. Also
2: Simeone's I'm not really shaking Brendan Rodgers
1: hand was also really you know it, it, Playing the hits. I'm going to fall on my sword slightly here because remember there was a thing a a few years ago when Simeone, there was a a thing made about how Simeone had refused to shake. Yeah, I remember. And at the time I defended Simeone and I said, because Simeone basically turned around straight up the tunnel. And I defended him and said, "Look, this is what he always does. And he does almost always do that. He almost always doesn't shake hands with the other manager. He turns and goes up the tunnel straight to the dressing room. It wasn't about Klopp and it wasn't a snub. And then sing it last night.
3: I'm not sure I can stand up
1: defend it. You see, this 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 isn't him running up the tunnel the I, same way. I
3: might defend him because I think Ooh. that it's it's something that is to do with like the Premier Leagueification of football. That the first thing you see after almost every big game is that the camera pans to the two managers, like in such a close up, which I don't see really in any other league. Or I say that. I don't see that in the Bundesliga every every week. I it it seems like it's just putting this kind of emphasis on like well you know the yeah. first thing that we've got to do is, is is we've got to make sure that the the honor is is there amongst the two managers. And I'm like, does it make a difference if they do that straight after the game, or if they do that in the tunnel where no one sees it?
1: it well, it's theater, isn't it? It's it's it, it's it's window dressing. And and actually just actually pointing out that idea, does it make a difference if I do it now or I do it in the tunnel? The opposite side of that is the other thing which really gets on my nerves, which is the refusal of players to swap shirts in, in, in full view of everybody else. As if it will somehow be seen as offensive to be walking off the pitch, holding or or worse still wearing. No one does yeah. that anymore. I wish they would. Yeah, me too. Wearing the shirt of the of, of the other team. And you see it all the time, you'll see the cameras, I like just says post game, you get the manager shot, then you get the shot of the players, and invariably you'll get the shot of one player pointing to another saying tunnel. And unfortunately, he's not saying you and me in a tunnel now. <laughs> he's actually saying, yes, let's swap the shirt there. Um, and I don't know, there's a bit of me that thinks, are we all really so worried about the idea that fans might see us being nice to an opponent? It, yeah. it's, so the managers are forced to, and it feels like the players are forced not to.
0: Somebody should have a word with Bobby Moore and Pelé then somewhere up there, <laughs> never, you
2: know? <laughs> While we're on this, another completely ridiculous bit of theatre is after the game when managers say the other managers are great, and Liam Rossini, after Hull beat Birmingham, said Wayne Rooney was great, and then had to have the conversation about going back to the dressing room to have a, glass, a small glass of red wine. Like, it's this extraordinary thing that an adult will drink a glass of red wine with another adult, but when football managers do it, it's just a thing is made of having a glass of wine with another person. It's totally ridiculous.
1: Max, let me throw one in there for you. When, when David Moyes was at Real Sociedad, he discovered to his disappointment that having a glass of wine with the other manager isn't a thing wow and he try and he tried to get it going he tried to kind of set up a little little like the little manager's kind of technical room just before the dressing room at, at Real South, the dad's ground he would kind of have a few bottles of wine and a few little knickknacks laid out in case the other manager wanted to. Oh, no, no, he all, sat there and no one came to didn't, his party. Didn't often happen, but <laughs> I'm not saying no one came, but I, I'm aware of at least a couple of games when they didn't because it's just not a thing. And he tried to sort of say, you know, this is a really nice thing we could do. Oh, that's so sweet. And, um, and, 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 and it wasn't always followed up.
2: Um, he's gone up in my estimations after that chat even more.
1: Uh, Moyes was wonderful in Spain. I mean, the results weren't great. No, but that, that, they don't really matter the results. Final beat that's
2: three one also in this group. Great result for them. Let's do group H, uh, Barca beating Shakhtar. Joachim says, is the reason for Barca playing early the fact that most of their players are not old enough to be up <laughs> after nine o'clock?
1: <laughs> I did like that. I saw that one on Twitter yeah, yesterday when a you asked questions. Christians. Yeah. They got
2: I mean, all these they've got I mean, I don't know how many kids. Was it Lopez scored a wonderful goal and there's another guy I've not heard of who's probably born in twenty ten or something ludicrous.
1: Now that, that Fermini is López. Um, presumably, you're talk- the, the, the one you'll be talking about will be, will be Marc um, Mark Marc Giu. Marc-gui-u-gu. There's been lots of debate about how to say his name, basically, because essentially, because it's a Catalan name, but you actually say it the same as you would in Spanish. But you've had lots of Spaniards looking at it going, mm, this is Catalan, how do I say it? And completely mangling it, as I've just done as well. Um, and he came on at the weekend, 33 seconds he was on the pitch in his debut for Barcelona, and he scored. Um, quite, we're, we're feeling quite cocky about that one, Max. Do you know why? Tell me. Because we included in The Guardian's Next Generation for this year.
3: Well done. <laughs> Sid, look at the pose that you're pulling there as
1: well. Like, <laughs> very much Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? Read us, we know. Um, <laughs> you know what? Once in a while, what is it that, what's that line from White Men Can't Jump? The sun even shines on a dog's ass some days.
2: <laughs> um, but look, but also, like, I, when I wandered into work at half four this morning, they were up, and, and I thought, oh, this would be easy. And actually, Shakhtar gave them a game after that.
1: Yeah, Barca I, I, and Chavi was talking post game about the kind of how to express it. Well, I'll try and express it the way he did: the the realization that sometimes that you have to give everything. The realization that if you do sort of step off or if you do allow your mind to wander is probably not quite the right phrase, but allow yourself to not be fully, fully, fully engaged. This is going to happen. Obviously, they've got lots and lots of injuries, and the main thing, of course, is they've got the classico at the weekend. And unlike in previous seasons, they're in a position in the group now. Where it feels very, very, very unlikely that they can find themselves with any chance of getting knocked out, whereas in the previous couple of years, obviously they've had difficult groups had Bayern Munich, they've had Inter Milan, and this time it, it looks done. And so I, I think a, a degree of distraction is probably not quite the right word, but a degree of disengagement is is probably inevitable.
2: Then not being at the new camp for such a long time um, until what November 2024 or something. How big an impact? Well, that's do just you think assuming
1: that... the work gets finished in time. Yeah, yeah,
2: of course. How big an impact do you think that will have?
1: Well, in footballing terms, it hasn't had one yet. They've been very good at home. Um, I must admit, I've not actually been to Montjuic yet this season to see them. I'll be there for the first time at, at the weekend in the Clasico. Um, but it's it, it, it obviously, it's a, it, it's a historic stadium. It's a wonderful setting on the top of the hill overlooking Barcelona. But it's just not a football stadium. And it's also incredibly... So quite apart from the fact that you've got a running track, and I think everybody knows now what a running track does to football stadiums, but it's also incredibly shallow stands. So the bottom six, seven, eight, nine, ten rows, your view is awful. So what that tends to mean is, and actually this year, I, I can't think now, I'll, I'll, I'll confirm this at the weekend, but I think I'm right in saying that the bottom four rows, maybe they don't even sell. So that kind of sense of no one's really on top of the pitch. Sounds like us
2: at the Troxy yeah. to be
1: honest. But anyway, <laughs> for, carry on. For, <laughs> for slightly different reasons. Um, <laughs> the, 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 it sort of removes something from it. Then obviously there's, on top of that, there's the... There's the financial impact of this. We're talking about the difference from going from the Camp Nou with 98,000 people to, to Montjuic with, I think even if it absolutely fills is 55. The financial impact of that, you had a situation at the start of the season. I think we might have mentioned this on one of the previous pods that um, you know the, the, they, they opened up a thing basically where they said, right, if you're a season ticket holder, tell us whether you want to go and have your season ticket at Montjuic. Obviously, we'll have to reposition people and all that sort of stuff, but tell us if you want to go. They only got 18,000 people say yes. Now, there's all sorts of arguments about this, how difficult it is to get to and all the rest of it. I think, actually, this was massively overplayed by a lot of people. Oh, my God, Montjuic, as if Montjuic was in, you know, was in Thadagotha, not in Barcelona. It's not that hard. It's not particularly convenient. That is true. Um, But only 18,000. That said, that has been beneficial, I think, in financial terms, because it's meant they've been able to sell the other tickets to people who as a one off will pay more per game than they would have done if they just kept a season ticket. But so I think the I think the impact is pretty significant financially. At a time, of course, when Barcelona can't really afford to have those kind of financial impacts.
2: Uh, also in this group, Porto won four one in Antwerp. Antwerp took the lead. We thought maybe this is their chance because they uh, you know, they're not having a great time in their first ever Champions League uh venture. Um, but Porto won quite comfortably. One of these goals, Philippe, that volley by Avanielsson. I don't know if you caught that in the highlights absolutely Archie's nodding so I'll go I'll go to you you make it he's doing hand gestures as well Archie it was some hit wasn't it
3: I have a slightly unhinged theory that people strike the ball harder in Portugal (laughs) (laughs)
1: explain explain, okay I can't explain it
3: I can't explain it it's just you know when you've seen enough goals and just do they Pretty play at important. altitude or
1: something? Just
3: this you know, Maybe, Portugal well known as being the, 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 the lemur of Europe. I don't know what it is. But there's something sometimes when I'm just seeing the odd goal from Portugal. And I know that, that, that there is nothing to back this up. But apart no, from isn't. my eye, which just seems to be like, I swear they're striking the ball harder. Maybe it's because I saw a few Hulk goals once upon a time and now <laughs> think, well, everybody's doing it.
0: Uh, but, but you, you, you cover Bundesliga where the thunder bastard is a cultural thing. I mean, where you, you associate the Bundesliga with people whacking the leather into the bag of onions. At uh, an incredible speed. You
3: see, I watch too much of it, Philippe, because I don't, don't anymore. <laughs> oh, dear. I see too much of the other stuff.
2: Yeah, we forget the time when Benfica had a front... Th- we had, had Hasselbank and Neboa with Stephen Reid <laughs> and Robert Hoop just behind them. That's the time you're thinking of.
1: Hoop <laughs> is just the perfect name for a guy who, well, just hoofs it as well.
2: Exactly brilliant. right. <laughs> um, anyway, that'll do for part two.
1: Not before do- doffing the
0: cap to a certain Pepe who became the oldest outfit player ever to play in a Champions League game with Porto last night wow next time wow. yeah next time you appear on stand and and you've got uh <laughs> the credentials the football credentials of the presenters and yeah. i saw you were nice touch for a big man uh next to Father and
2: uh i was uh, good i was good touch for a big man on uh, yesterday today i was got a mistake in him and uh, you know uh, uh, without betraying uh, uh, tomorrow I am not Europa League appearances <laughs>
1: <laughs> who, who writes these Max and, and, and have I'll they, write, and have they seen these. you play oh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Alright that'll do for part two Sid you can go away
1: Thank you bye bye
2: Good stuff Sid Low out in Spain uh, we'll be back with the Premier League preview
3: Dein Podcast macht kurz
0: pause <laughs>
3: Hate speech dagegen hört nicht so einfach auf
0: Wer hat dir überhaupt erlaubt zu reden, Schlampe? Verzieh dich in die Küche, bevor ich herausfinde, wo du wohnst und dir...
2: persönlich Danke sage. Hör nicht auf die Hater. Du machst einen richtig guten Job. Und wir stehen alle hinter dir.
0: Wir alle entscheiden, ob wir das Netz dem Hass überlassen. Werde Teil der Telekom-Initiative gegen Hass im Netz. Und setze ein Zeichen. Telekom.
2: Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So, the Premier League then. Now, Everton go to West Ham. Reports in the Telegraph yesterday saying they're facing a possible 12 point deduction uh, for breaching FFP regulations uh, would be the biggest point deduction in Premier League history. Uh, if it happened today, they'd be on minus five points. The case is being reviewed by an independent commission. They and not the Premier League will make the final decision. Everton are thought to have recorded financial losses of £371.8 million. £266.8 million over budget, which seems a lot over budget, doesn't it? It seems you might notice that. Everton, in a statement from a while back, said uh, they're prepared to robustly defend uh, their position to the commission. The club has, over several years, provided information to the Premier League in an open and transparent manner and has consciously chosen to act with the utmost good faith at all times. Um, I mean, Everton fans have had a, a rough old time, Philippe, lately, haven't they?
0: yeah it's uh, it it's it's the gift it's the bitter bitterest of gifts which keeps on giving um it looks as if uh, i was going to say an example is going to be made of everton um uh, because the twelve point deduction um it goes the consequences go far beyond the immediate sporting um consequences which of course would be dire given their current position and the fact that They're in no position to strengthen in the winter that um, however good a manager, Sean Dyche, might be in this kind of situation, however good some of the players might still be. And I think it would just, um, I mean, it would mean relegation. I don't think there's much doubt about that. And in which case, with the prospect of relegation, the prospect of finding a new owner, uh, since the, the process of selling it to 777 partners has stalled, as we know, Uh, I won't go into that. I will, as per usual, refer to the work we've done uh, with Paul Brown and Josimar about what's happening with 777. So let's talk rather about Everton. But the, the problem is that if they were to go down, I mean, who is going to take on a club that has committed to build this huge new stadium in the docks, a club which needs an investment of between 800 million and 1 billion, Max, if this club is in the championship? Given that obviously being in the championship means that the resources you're going to um, have are going to be, in terms of the uh, TV income, for example, are going to be uh, well minimal compared to what you had in the Premier League. I mean, it is it is an absolute nightmare. But on the other hand, uh, there are some very angry people out there who say that Everton should have been dealt with much earlier. And to be honest, it might have been a blessing in disguise, or rather a blessing full stop, if they had been dealt with earlier and more swiftly. Uh, rather than to let the situation um, get to what it is now, which is an absolute mess from which you really genuinely do not see how they're going to get out uh, in any shape or form. And obviously, the coda to that, Max, I'll stop with this, is that should the Premier League decide, or the independent panel, by the way, that the Premier League is right upon to uh, to sanction the club if it's found guilty, uh, we will have set the precedent for another case, which is open and which is Manchester City's case, of course. And there are 115 charges of doing, um, of taking it very, very easy with the financial fair play regulations. So it's, um, yeah, as we said, it's not uh, a, a can of worms. It's, mm. uh, it's, it's a cask of maggots, a dripping cask of maggots.
2: We did have a question from Lucius saying if Everton are deducted 12 points, the Premier League is asking for. Will Erling Haaland still play for City in the Vanarama North? Um, uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> it's a good question. Do we have, do we know what's happening with those charges, Philippe? And we do get no occasionally. What's happening with this? The, the,
0: the whole process is going to take um, two to three years, um, if it is ever concluded. It's a bit John Dice v John Dice for Dickens uh, lovers. Um, the process. I mean, they're very careful. Absolutely zero detail of what is going on behind closed doors is being leaked or being briefed or anything like that. Because what the Premier League doesn't want to happen is anything happening in the media which would, in some ways, uh, be prejudicial to the uh, to the process itself. This has happened in the past. Remember that Manchester City used as a defence when they were charged by UEFA the fact that there had been. Uh, statements put through the media which they thought were putting them in a situation which was unfair. So the Premier League wants to keep everything under wraps, as they have done since the very beginning, to be, uh, to be fair to them, when we thought that they were doing nothing about the situation. But in fact, they were working behind, the, you know, behind closed doors. And that's what we're going to see as well. And I think two to three years is about what we can expect for that.
2: True. Uh, speaking of Man City, they go to Old Trafford. Archie, did you give United a chance in this game? I feel like they can be bad and then turn up for games like this sometimes. But I don't know if that's my mind lying to me.
3: Do you remember that glorious first half hour of Bayern Munich away? How how well they played until... Yes,
2: I do. Yeah, they were good for that. And
3: they? Andre Onana um, fumbled. It, it, it can happen without wanting to go to proper football man. The first goal does seem very important here. I think that there's just, there's, there, there's this part of my mind which thinks, particularly that United are playing this game at home, that there's a lot of potential for chaos should City get going properly here. And not not just on the pitch, but off the pitch of what this this game threatens to throw up. Particularly because, I mean, look, United have have built some quiet momentum with three back-to-back wins, but this is this looks like the kind of fixture where it could all come crashing down. So, in answer to your original question, I I still think that, yeah, I the the reason and logic in my in my head uh, of which there's not always much uh, says that says that City uh, should steamroller through this.
0: I mean, who was expecting Manchester United to beat Manchester City last season in January when they beat them 2-1 and, you know, uh, two late-ish goals? Uh, An offside goal,
3: they might say as well. Mm -hmm. They've not forgotten about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so, so you never know. You never know. You never know. I mean, that is really terrific insight, isn't no, it? No, no. But,
2: you know, but, it, <laughs> but I mean, it, it is true. As I've said before, Charlie Baker, who I work with at TalkSport, says you can end every football conversation with We'll See. And he is, there isn't one you can't, you can end every conversation with that. Bournemouth Burnley, I mean, We'll See. Uh, Arsenal, <laughs> no, I mean, that's a massive game at the bottom of the table, isn't it? Two teams, Philippe, who promised attractive, interesting football at the start of the season. Do you think one of them should think actually today let 's get it launched and just get the points
0: This is the Cambridge United fan speaking here why they, they they've they 've actually been pretty convincing it 's not just that they 've promised to do it 's that they 've done it actually. The problem has been more that they 've done it against teams which are even better than they are doing these kind of things that now this is different why Why should they start launching Um, Why should Bournemouth launch against Burnley and Burnley launch against (laughs) Bournemouth is the question. Um, You could perhaps understand that maybe Burnley would have been better off, you know, would be better off launching against the likes of Arsenal or Manchester City. But uh, one versus the other, I do hope we're going to see this exhibition of uh, shiny new football that uh, we've been promised and which we haven't necessarily associated with those two particular clubs in in the past.
2: Uh, Arsenal play Sheffield United. Uh, Chris Wilder's haunting Paul Heckenbottom. Sort of a bit like Banquo's ghost, isn't he? We've been saying for ages that he's just there and ready, but, you know, Heckenbottom is still soldiers on. Um, You wonder if a thrashing at at the Emirates would uh, tip them over the edge. Brighton, Fulham, Uh, Archie, uh, here you go. Here's a minute. Marco Silva signed a new contract. Happy about that? Very. And surprised,
3: given all the signals that have been made before his unhappiness at how things were going in in the transfer market uh, and how late all the signings were coming. It, it, it's the best news I've had this week. <laughs> uh, it's, it's encouraging. And I hope that with that come assurances that the club will do things in a different way. I thought we were very good away at Tottenham. We played better in that game than we had in wins against Everton and Luton this season. Um, Albeit, yeah, Calvin Bassey playing at right centre-back does not suit him as the two goals showed. I have to mention as well, Fulham are going to do a protest, Max, uh, against the high-ticket prices, uh, against Manchester United. Uh, That is next weekend. It's going to be on the telly. And credit to the Supporters' Trust... And everybody who has got behind that, and I hope that lots will inside the stadium as well, because it is a real opportunity to show what is right and how wrong this is and how damaging it could be to the future of our football club.
2: Philip, we are five days away from FIFA's deadline for World Cup bids. Still only Saudi Arabia on the table. I've I've got quite a lot on in the next four days, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to scrabble one together. Um, so it's up to you. Right.
0: Um, it's up to me. Well, uh, I, what I think is extraordinary here is um, how we have had perhaps the least transparent, least democratic, most corrupt. And corrupt doesn't necessarily mean putting, you know, Envelope stuffed with cash underneath hotel doors, Max. I mean it's in the moral sense, but I think this is in terms of designation of a, of a World Cup venue, a World Cup host. Yes, the most corrupt, the most disgraceful, the most uh, opaque, uh, the most, um, yeah, uh, and catastrophic process we've had in the history of FIFA. I would put that beyond what happened with Qatar 2022 and Russia 2018, or what happened with Germany 20, 2006, by the way. Uh, because this is institutional, this is systemic. A deal was passed quite clearly between Gianni and Fantino uh, because FIFA is Gianni and Fantino in the Saudis. A strategy was devised which would enable the Saudis to be the sole candidates. Saudi Arabia, yes, without any competition, will inherit the 2034 World Cup. And what is amazing is that can you see anybody talking about it? Can you see anybody being revolted by this prospect? Can you see anybody saying from within the associations, like our oh dear, English FA," have you heard a squeak from them? By the fact that we are going to go, we are all being taken on uh, this jolly ride by Jenny and his uh, in his clown car, and and we're taken, we're being taken to Saudi Arabia in, 20, in 2034. and they twisted the whole process. They made sure they took a decision on the 4th of October to suddenly uh, give the World Cup to Spain, Portugal and Morocco. Wonderful venue, by the way, for a World Cup. I don't disagree with that. Uh, By giving a little sweetener to the Paraguayans, the Uruguayans and the Argentinians saying, OK, well, you can have one game of that World Cup, which is going to be, you know, of course, in terms of of ecological terms is absolutely catastrophic. But anyway, the whole thing is utterly shocking. It's It's a complete failure uh, of, of the of the system and another proof that FIFA has to be disbanded because this is just 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 beyond words I, I will stop here because I can feel the anger I can feel my maybe we should keep that for the for for the for the London uh, Guardian football live I promise you I will be absolutely unhinged on that night I will, I will use very, very bad words Absolutely. because there won't be a lawyer anywhere near and nobody will be retweeting <laughs> or blue-skying what I'm going to say. But I'll keep it at that. It's a scandal. It's an absolute scandal. And nobody's saying a thing. A UFS is saying nothing. The French Federation is saying nothing. Nobody's saying anything. So Jenny and Fantino and the Saudis can carry on doing their little deals. Their big deals, actually. Bastards.
2: Archie? Quick check on how you're doing and the importance of checking in on how people are doing um, um, because um, it's important to do that.
3: Yeah, sure, man. Uh, I'm, I'm personally, I'm I'm doing really well for, for for what it's worth. I'm happy to say that I'm I'm still doing therapy because that's what has worked for me. Um, I'd like to mention uh I, I i got a message from uh, a listener the other day which is is what actually um yeah made me want to to say today the you know please do please do continue to try and give your friends who may be suffering uh the space uh, to to quote World in Motion, create the space, express yourself, almost right, because it, like that that's half the challenge is is giving giving people who are feeling low or in in a difficult place is 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 giving them the room to be able to open up and you know you may think checking in is is it is it if for one friend is it going how are you all right. Like for someone else, it may just be not prying and just waiting, and 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 making sure that they feel comfortable enough to do that. Uh, but you know, I I try and speak up about these things when we maybe wouldn't think about it, and and the next time you're maybe in full flow of your own moment, just maybe drop a mo- just maybe drop a note to someone just to recognise that you're still thinking about them as well, because these things can can still take a turn. I still have the odd day where uh, things are not good, but because I've worked at it hard for a number of years now and realized that it is a day-by-day process and not I can fix this in two weeks, that I can feel progress. I let emotion out in a healthier way. I can cry again, which I couldn't. And I didn't. I thought that was, I thought that was okay at some point, and now I'm like, that's, that's a. It's a good thing to be able to do that, um, even if it does come at some soppy movie that you're watching. Um, yeah, like it's, um, it's important. So I just hope Jerry, Jerry Maguire,
2: is it? <laughs> is
3: that it? Jerry Maguire? I wouldn't want to comment. M- that'll mate. always get me. The- uh, but okay, <laughs> <laughs> look, no, it's. Um, I I just hope that, you know people are able to take a deep breath and I I know how long waiting lists are as well and how much of a luxury it is that I've been able to see someone. And yeah, like just try and support one another, I guess. And I, if there's somebody out there listening who is wondering, like, is anyone hearing me? Um, then you know, hopefully, their friends, people can can help try and step up for them.
2: Sure, it's a good message, and people are always welcome to get in touch on this and any subject. Um, Football Weekly at the Guardian um, um, Some exciting news to finish off with: we have a a footballer to follow in MLS, chaps. Malcolm Fry of the New England Revolution, who sent me a message on Instagram saying, "Hey Max, I'm a professional footballer here in the US." Uh, in the U.S. of A., he says, "I've recently signed my first contract with our first team, and after thanking my parents and siblings, I wanted to thank you next." Oh, there must be a small there must be someone else before that. Thank you for lighting up every drive to training with your laughter and amazing guests. He hasn't named either of you two specifically, but I'm sure he did. <laughs> of course, mean you two. Especially. Um, I'm truly in debt to your wonderful work on the pod. Thank you. It's certainly the closest I've been uh, to being thanked in an Oscar-winning speech. So, uh, um, Malcolm, don't forget us. When you become the next Clint Dempsey. um, And hopefully, by following your career, we will finally overcome our anti US bias uh, that we exhibit on a a daily basis. Um, uh, So, yeah, good luck to you, Malcolm. Thank you so much for getting in touch. And that'll do for today. Um, Thank you, chaps. Thank you for doing the whole thing. I'm like Sid, you know. Um, (laughs) I value value the commitment. Uh, Cheers, Philippe. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Archie. Thanks, Max. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sarnes.